0: I wonder if you ever try to imagine heaven. If if you've lost someone that you love very much, I'll guarantee you that you have tried to imagine it. And uh, today we're going to be talking about heaven. Uh, good morning, once again. Uh, I'm glad that you guys are here. I don't know if I mentioned this earlier or not, but if uh, if you're a first time guest with us today, my name's Jimmy. I'm the lead pastor here at Rocky River, and uh, we're we're kind of right in the middle of a series that we're calling I Have Questions. And during this series, we're just um, considering and trying to answer some of the the frequently asked questions that people have, Um, questions about God, questions about Jesus, questions about the the Bible, uh, the afterlife, and just life in general. And uh, today we're gonna talk about heaven, Um, Human beings have always considered that there is a heaven. It's like we know that we're going to live forever somewhere. The Australian aborigines always imagined heaven as being a, a, a distant island somewhere just over the western horizon. The Finns, the Finnish people, From Finland, they imagined that heaven was somewhere in the far east. Uh, In South America, uh, Mexicans, Peruvians, um, the Polynesians, they always imagined that when people died, they either went to the moon or to the sun to spend their afterlife. Native Americans believed that their spirits would come back and um, hunt the spirits of dead buffalo. I've been to Egypt, and I've been into the pyramids where they have found bodies that were embalmed with maps to guide the dead into the afterlife. There are caves in France and the Sahara Desert where you can go into them and uh, they have carvings on the wall, some of them as old as 12,000 years, where they have they have scratched into the walls images of gods to the sun and the moon. The Romans believed that the righteous people from, from their culture would go to the Elysian fields and have a picnic for eternity while their horses just grazed in a pasture nearby. And while all of these descriptions or these thoughts about the afterlife are different, what it does tell us is that human beings have this God-given sense. First of all, that there is a God and it's not us, and that we are created to live somewhere forever. Now, if you ask most people today, most people would say that they, they would like to go to heaven because, I mean, after all, it's better than, uh, than the alternative, right? I mean, nobody wants to go to hell. At least I've never met anyone who wants to go to hell. But while most people would say they want to go to heaven, most people are not very excited about it. I think that's too bad. And I think the reason that we're not excited about it is because we just don't know a lot about heaven. It's almost one of those ignored topics in the Bible, or or if it's brought up, it's only around a, a funeral. And so then what happens is most of what we know about heaven, we've been given Uh, the the information through Hollywood which I mean is somewhat warped already just because it's coming out of Hollywood. I mean you can't expect that Hollywood is going to tell us the truth if they even know the truth about heaven. Um, Do you guys remember when the movie Ghost came out? I know some of you were not even born then. I I get that but Karen and I were actually dating. We'll be married 24 years years this this May but we were dating when that movie came out so gosh that movie's probably nearly 30 years old I would guess because we dated for 5 years we had to be early in our relationship for me to go see a movie like ghost so I'm thinking is <laughs> <it was> for, <laughs> for we were not at a ball game we were a, on a date night movie so it had to be early <laughs> um I, you know at the end of that movie with Patrick Swayze and, and Demi Moore The the well almost at the end. It's sort of at at the end of the movie when when the bad guys are killed and these evil spirits just come out of the floor and grab them and take them to hell with them. And then of course there's the the part with Patrick Swayze and Demi Moore and um you know it's their ghostly moment and you see this glimpse of heaven and all that good stuff. I remember that when Karen and I were, were leaving the movie, and it was, it was packed, it was probably opening weekend, as we're walking out, this uh, this girl in front of us turns to her husband or boyfriend and says, I bet you'll be at Sunday school tomorrow, won't you? Because <laughs> it, it, it was sort of scary. But a lot of what we know about heaven, we, we get it from Hollywood, and then some of what we think we know about heaven is really things that are are borrowed or handed down from eastern mysticism. And so even those of us who have been Christians for a long time don't really have a good biblical understanding about heaven, and so we're going to work on that. If you have your message notes out, and I hope that you do, look at the very first verse at the top of your outline on the front page. It's Colossians 3.1. You have it? Colossians 3.1. It says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. If you're taking notes, I want you to just underline the realities of heaven, because that's what we're going to do today. Today, we're going to push through a lot of the myths or things that maybe we think we know about heaven, and we're going to talk about the realities of heaven. Now, the the truth is, the Bible has a lot to say about heaven. And and while we're gonna talk about it this week and next week, there is so much that I can't possibly squeeze it all into two messages. But I'm gonna give you a lot. I'm gonna give you a lot of scripture passages. I'm gonna give you a lot of information. And uh, we're just gonna go as far as we can with this. The, The main scripture passage I want us to look at this morning is Revelation 21 and uh, verses 1 through 27. Now listen, listen, I need, I need you listening good on this part. It's a long passage, but it is such a vivid description of heaven that as I was reading through it, Mike, I just couldn't cut stuff out. I, and so finally I just said, let's put it all in. So we're going we're gonna to read the whole passage. Now, Now check this out. We just finished a series in the Gospel of John. That John, the disciple of John, he, he wrote the Gospel of John, but he also wrote 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, and the Revelation. And by the way, it's not Revelations with an S on it. Although I made it sound like a Z, didn't I? It's not Revelations. It's Revelation. And John is on the island of Patmos. It's a prison island. Australia was originally a prison island. This is a prison island. He's he's on this prison island because he's been preaching the gospel. The Romans have arrested him, and they've banished him to this island. And while he was there... Jesus gave him a glimpse of what the future will look like. And so think of the daunting task that John has. He's trying to explain to us a place we've never been to, that we've never seen before, and it's amazing. So I want you to listen along. Now, the scripture passage is not in your notes because it's just so long. So, again, listen along or you can follow along on the screens. So, again, John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea." That almost seems odd, because I'll be honest with you, Erica, when I go to heaven, I'm hoping there's an ocean there, because I, I want to, I, I don't need anything fancy. I, I would just like to have a small house on stilts, you know, ocean behind it, big porch where I can sit out there and eat boiled shrimp and banana pudding for eternity, you know, Maybe a golf course in the front yard would be cool, but it, it could be, you know, just a nine-hole course. That, that'd be fine. I'm not asking for much. But I, I hope there's an ocean. Why would he say it like that? Why would he tell us that there's no sea? Well, you, you have to think like, um, like an ancient. They didn't know what was in the ocean. I mean, there are people today who believe in mermaids and the Loch Ness Monster, can you imagine what it would have been like 2,000 years ago for, for people that uh, the, the only thing they know about the ocean is basically what they've skirted around the seashore on? And so to them, out in the ocean, it's scary. There are monsters that live out there. That, that's where all the chaos comes from. So John is saying, in heaven, there's not going to be monsters. Aren't you glad? No more monsters under your bed? Uh, There's not going to be any chaos or strife, no mysteries. He says, verse 2, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Now, those of you who are not very romantic, uh, uh, imagine it like this. The bride is the church. The lamb, which you'll see in just a moment, or the groom is Jesus. Now, as a pastor, I do lots of weddings. I love doing weddings. And there are, even for me, with as many weddings as I've done, there are some cool moments inside of the ceremony for me. And one of them is when you have a groom that you know really loves his bride and he sees her for the first time, you know, the the back doors of the church are opened or if it's an outdoor wedding, she comes around the corner, you can look at the groom and tell how much he loves his bride or, or how scared he is. But that's the imagery here. And so it's, there's excitement here. There, there's love here. He says in verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, which means check this out. Pay attention to this. God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their guide. Verse 4 is, it's a famous verse. Um, Even if you've not been to church very many times, if you just grew up in the 80s and listened to Iron Maiden, you've heard this verse. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the order of the old things, the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new, which means that heaven is not going to be a remodel. Everything is going to be brand new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true unlike what you see in a movie. John is saying these words are trustworthy. You can believe these words. And the truth is you're going to believe something. You're going to believe someone. You're either going to believe the movies or you're going to believe your, your brother-in-law who, who thinks that he's got all the answers to everything, including the afterlife. You're going to listen to something. You're going to believe some. Well, something as truth. You should believe the truth. He said to me, it is done. Which sounds just like Jesus' statement on the cross when he says, it is finished. I'm the alpha and the omega. The alpha is the first letter in the Greek alphabet. The omega is the last letter in the Greek alphabet. I'm the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all the liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came to me and said, come and I will show you the bride, which is the church, the wife of the lamb, who is Jesus, the groom. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of god and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel like a jasper clear as crystal it had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates on the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of israel there were three gates on the east three gates on the north three gates on the south and three gates on the west the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a a measuring rod. He had a tape measure. Probably not a Stanley tape measure, but a a tape measure. It was made of gold. It was to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. So think about this. God has given us some serious detail here to to the point that he's measuring it out. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it is wide. He measured the city with a rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length, which is about 1,400 miles. Um, anybody in here from New York? Well, the, the capital of New York is Albany, right? So 1,400 miles is from Albany, New York, to Topeka, which is um, the capital of Kansas, Kansas City. So from Albany, New York, to Topeka, Kansas, 1,400 miles. That's how long heaven is, and it's also how high heaven is. Just once again, he measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length, 1,400 miles, and as wide... And high as it is long. I'm thinking high rise apartments like the Jeffersons. We're moving on up. The angel measured the wall using human measurement, and it was 144 cubits thick, which is about 18 inches. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. Listen to this description. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third a gate, and the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, one of my personal favorites, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, and the eleventh jasif, and And the twelfth was amethyst. So so think about how beautiful heaven must be. Its building materials are gems. The bricks and the walls are made out of priceless gems. The 12 gates were 12 pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. Guys, that is one big oyster. The great street of that city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of this earth will bring their splendor into it. One day with Um, One day will its gates ever be shut, or on no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. And then verse 27, last verse, nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the lamb's book of life wow it's pretty amazing isn't it i mean you really can not only imagine it for the next few minutes i want to answer three basic questions about heaven so if you're a note taker write these down question number one what is heaven question number one is what is heaven and the bible tells us that it's two things here they are. Number one: Heaven is where God lives and rules. Heaven is where God lives and rules. Throughout the Bible, heaven is spoken of as the dwelling place of God, or the house of God. It's also called the throne of God. Look at Psalm 103:19. It says, "The Lord has established His throne in heaven." and his kingdom rules over all. And then Psalm 123, one says, I'll lift up my eyes to you, to you who sits enthroned in heaven. So what is heaven? Heaven is the home and the throne of God. It's where God lives and where he rules. Number two, heaven is a real place. It's not ethereal it's um, it's a real place it's not a state of mind it's not nirvana it's not a dream state heaven is a real place the Bible describes heaven as a place where there are streets there's water there's trees there are homes there are even animals so before you ask me I'm just gonna tell you yes I think animals are in heaven Heaven is a physical place. It's not just some place that's, that's floating around in, in outer space, and just so you guys know, heaven is not gonna be a place where we're, we're just all dressed in a white robe and um, where we have wings. We're not gonna be these little chubby cherubs, which I'm kind of excited that we're not gonna be chubby. Um, you're not gonna float around on a cloud and, and play a harp all day. I'll be honest with you, that sounds more like hell to me than heaven. I mean, who could get excited about going to a boring, colorless place? Jesus describes heaven as a real place. Listen to what he says in John fourteen two. He says, my father's what? House has many what? rooms if that were not so i would have told you that i'm going there to prepare a place for you jesus gives us tangible things to hold on to to think about heaven he wants us to be excited when we think about that one day we're going to live with him in heaven it's a real place okay everybody with me here's question number two where is heaven Where is heaven? The deep and honest answer is, I don't know. And no one else really does either. Because to be honest with you, the the Bible doesn't tell us. I mean, we we think about heaven is up, we, we think about hell is down, I mean, that at least is alluded to in the Scriptures. But what we know is that heaven is out of this world. You know, with, with all due respect to Belinda Carlisle, heaven is not a place on earth. The good news is that while we don't know where heaven is, at least we know how to get there. Because Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father except that he come by me. So we know the way to get to heaven. And then here's the third question. We're gonna park here for just a little while. What is heaven really like? What is heaven really like? Now, next week, Next Sunday, I'm going to tell you what will be in heaven. But for the next few minutes, I want to give you five things, at least five things, that will not be in heaven, okay? So these are things that will not be in heaven. Number one, no sadness. No sadness. You ever been sad? I mean, really sad. Sad. not sad because your team lost the Super Bowl when you should have won it. I'm wearing my Panthers jersey today because I'm pretty excited about our draft this weekend. That's not the kind of sadness I mean. I mean, have you ever been brokenhearted? Really hurt? Well, the Bible says that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That that means that in a fraction of a second, in what you might call the twinkling of an eye, all sadness is going to come to an end, at least for those living in heaven. That means no more depression, no more abuse, no more loneliness, no more grief, no more divorce no more addictions there'll be no tears in heaven so there will be no more sadness number two no sickness there's not going to be any sickness in heaven the bible says in revelation 21 4 that there will be no pain in heaven There won't be any sickness because we're gonna have brand new bodies. We're gonna have bodies that no longer get sick. We're gonna live in bodies that no longer age. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 42 and 43. This is about our bodies. Paul says, these bodies, and he's talking about these flesh and blood bodies, these bodies that we have here right now, these bodies will die. But the bodies that are raised will live forever. These ugly and weak bodies will become beautiful and strong. The Bible says we're going to have perfect bodies in heaven. that means my mother-in-law who has had rheumatoid arthritis at least for the 30 years i've known her she won't have arthritis in heaven as long as i've known her she's prayed for healing and one day she'll receive the ultimate healing she'll have a, a body that's perfect, that isn't sick anymore, without the arthritis, that, that means she'll have hands where all the fingers haven't been broken and straightened and put pins in them. No more cancer. No more chemo. Those, those things will, will be over. There are not gonna be any Tums In heaven. Because there's not going to be any upset stomachs. No diarrhea. No gas. No need for Pepto Bismol in heaven. Number three, no suffering. No suffering. Listen to what the Bible says in Revelation 7 16. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them nor any scorching heat. You know there's a lot of suffering in the world today, isn't there? According to UNICEF, each day 22,000 children die due to complications from poverty. Every day. 1.8 Million children die each year from diarrhea because they don't have clean drinking water. 80% of all human beings living on the earth make less than $10 a day. Two of every three people live on less than $2 a day. And one in three people live on less than $1 a day. There are approximately 2.5 billion children in the world and at least one billion of them can't even write their own name. And to me, what is infuriating about this is most of this is due to the fact that these third world developing countries are led by dictatorial leaders that control the people and control their population by controlling the money, the food, the sanitation, and the education. There's a lot of suffering in the world, but one day that suffering is going to come to an end. It won't last forever. And then number four, there's not going to be any sin in heaven. No sin Look again at Revelation 21, 27. It says, Nothing impure will ever enter it, will never enter into heaven, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Okay, so heaven is a perfect place. The problem is that you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. None of us is perfect. Romans 3.23 says that all people have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious ideal. We're, We're all sinners. So we've all messed up, and if we're all sinners, how in the world are we able to go to heaven? Well, that's where Jesus comes in. Jesus came to die on the cross to pay for our sins, to wipe them out, to forgive us of our sins, to make us perfect inside. And so think about this, when you become a Christian, when you become a follower of Jesus, when God looks at you from that moment on, he he doesn't see the liar that you are. He doesn't see the hypocrite that you are. He doesn't see the thief that you are. He doesn't see you as the sinner. Instead, he looks at you and he sees Jesus and his sacrifice for your sins. And it's as though you have a sign over you that says, debt paid in full. But listen to me. To be forgiven of your sins, you have to ask for forgiveness. You have to ask for forgiveness. And unless you have confessed your sins to Jesus, unless you have said, Jesus, yes, I am a sinner, I need to be forgiven, I accept that you were the sacrifice for my sins you are still in your sins. Your sins are still in you. And if you die in your sins, you are stuck with them for eternity. If your sin can't enter into heaven, that means you can't enter into heaven. And then finally, number five, no death. In heaven, there's gonna be no death. The Bible says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And I can tell you as a, as a pastor who has been with many families by a graveside, Burying a loved one, I'm looking forward to this. Death has an expiration date on it. 1 Corinthians 15, 26 says that the last enemy to be destroyed is death. In this life, we live in bodies that ruin and die. We live in a, a broken world where people suffer, they hurt, they get hurt, they hurt others. But when we get to heaven, we'll have a new body, a new character, new emotions. And I'm thankful that I don't have to live for eternity with my hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Aren't you? Amen? So the question is, I guess, who's going to heaven? Who who goes there? Well, for just a minute, as we wrap things up, I, I want you to think about heaven and being a Christian like receiving an invitation, like a wedding invitation, for example. Don't, don't you like to get wedding invitations or invitations to parties, invitations to special things? Even if you can't go, it lets you know that that person's thinking about you, that at least you're included. And most invitations, especially if it's you know something like a wedding, there is an, an RSVP. Do you know what RSVP means? Sure you do. It, it's, a, it's a French phrase, save vous play, which means, are you coming? And, and then there's usually out to the side of that a date that says, if you're going to come to the party, let us know by this date. And if you don't let the person know by that date, then you can't go. the greatest invitation you will ever receive is the one we read about in John 3:16 John 3:16 is the kind of invitation that tells you everything that you need to know about an invitation who it's from who it's to and what it's about for god so loved the world it's from god for god so loved the world that whosoever that's who it's to H- who can go to heaven who is it open to who's invited everyone No matter who you are, no matter where you've been in life, no matter what you've done in life, and no matter what's been done to you, the invitation is from God. It's available to everyone. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. It's from God. It's to all of us. What is it about? It's about being forgiven of your sins. It's about being forgiven of the sins that you've committed in the past, the ones that you're involved in now, and the sins that you'll commit in the future. It's about being forgiven of your past, having a, a purpose for living in the present, and you get the hope, not the wish, the hope of a home in heaven. So who goes to heaven? All those who put their faith and trust in Christ. Heaven is not just the default eternity for every person. To go to heaven, you have to be forgiven of your sins. Have you been forgiven of your sins? Let's pray together. If you'll just bow your head and close your eyes. In just a very simple prayer, I want to give you the opportunity to ask for forgiveness of your sins. And to trust Jesus today as your Lord and Savior. So there's nothing magical about the prayer I'm about to say. But there's something supernatural about about the prayer when you pray it and mean it in your heart. So it's not about my words. You can use them, but let them just be the the guide. Just to, to help you confess your sins to Jesus. And commit your life to him. You don't have to say these words out loud. You can whisper them if you'd like to, but you can just say them in your your mind. You can just think them. Our God is the God who searches hearts and minds, and he will hear you right now when you say something like this. Jesus, in the best way I know how, I'm trusting you today as my Lord and Savior. I, I know today like I've never known before that I'm a sinner And I need forgiveness. So I ask you to forgive me. Thank you for dying for me on the cross. Thank you for living again. Thank you for the opportunity that I now have to live for eternity. Thank you for loving me and saving me. Jesus, it's in your great name that we pray, amen. Good job, great job. Thank you guys. Thank you a lot. Well, if you have your Bible with you, open it up or turn it on, go to Revelation 21, Revelation 21. Also, make sure that you have your message notes out. There's my Bible. I was looking for mine. Make sure that you have your message notes out, and, uh, and, and remember that those message notes are in there for you to take, some, to take some notes, to write some things down. We remember things more and better when we write them down. We, we are in a series, kind of right in the middle of a series called I Have Questions, and the series is about addressing some of the, the frequently asked questions that people have about spiritual things, um, like the Bible, about God, about Jesus, about prayer, about the afterlife, and, and then just life in general. And today and next week, we're going to be talking about the afterlife, but specifically, we're going to be talking about heaven. You know, human beings have always believed in some sort of heaven, it's It's as though human beings just know that we're going to live forever somewhere. And people's beliefs have have shaped and changed their culture. The Australian Aborigines pictured heaven to be a distant island that's just beyond the western horizon. And the Finns believed that heaven was somewhere in the Far East. Mexicans, Peruvians, um, Polynesians, the South American cultures, they believed that when when they died, they would either go to the moon or to the sun. Native Americans believed that in the afterlife, their spirits would hunt the spirits of buffalo. Um, I've been to the pyramids in Egypt and seen embalmed bodies That were embalmed with maps to guide the dead into the next life. The Romans believed that people in their culture who were righteous would have an eternal picnic in the Elysian fields while their horses grazed nearby. You can go to caves in France and in the Sahara Desert and see um, scratchings, carvings into. The caved walls, some, some of them as old as 12,000 years, where the, the people there had um, uh, depicted gods to the moon and to the sun. It seems like every culture that you can dig up and examine believed in some sort of afterlife. And listen, most of them are very different, very different. But even though they're different, what it reminds us of is that we have this God-given sense that as human beings, there is more to life than this earth. There is a next life, there's something beyond this life. One of the things that um, cave carvings of different gods tells us that It tells us that people believe that there is a God and it's not us. But then when we don't know the true and living God, we tend to worship his creation. When you talk to people today about heaven, the afterlife and what comes next, most people say that they wanna go to heaven because it's better than the alternative, right? right. And so people will say that they want to go to heaven, but not very many people are excited about going there. I, I heard a joke recently. I'm not sure if it's uh, okay to tell in church, but I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try it out here. We'll, we'll see. But a, a preacher walks into a bar. He's planning to preach the gospel to the people that are inside, and he says, Who wants to go to heaven? Stand up. And everyone stood up except one guy. And the preacher said, sir, you don't want to go to heaven? And the guy said, yes, sir, I do want to go to heaven, pastor, but it sounds like you're trying to get a group together tonight. <laughs> and that's the way most people feel, not, not really excited about heaven. And I think that's too bad. I think, I think that's too bad. And I think the reason that most people are not very excited about heaven is because we just don't know a lot about heaven, which is unfortunate because the Bible has so much to say about heaven. Most of what we believe about heaven, we get from the movies. Man, that's dangerous. Um, Movies like Ghost. How many many of you, have you seen the movie? You know the movie I'm talking about? This this month, well, it's almost May. uh, May 29th, Karen and I will have been married 24 years. Yeah, she she deserves a medal, believe me. Yeah, that's enough of that. That's enough. Um, and so I remember, now, Karen and I dated for five years. And so I can remember going to see Ghost as a date movie. So that's been 29 plus 5, it's 34. So it's probably 32, 33 years ago because I'm thinking, uh, in that stage of our relationship, I was still going to see chick movies, so I'm thinking it was early in the relationship, right, guys? <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's probably true. And uh, if you if you've seen the movie, at the end of it, uh, the, the bad guys are killed, and these evil spirits come out of the floor and take the bad people to hell. And then Patrick Swayze and Demi Moore and, uh, and Whoopi Goldberg, they have their whole heaven experience and, and, and what that's like. I remember that when the movie was over and the theater was packed, it, it's like a line of people trying to get out. There was a, there was a, a couple in front of us, and uh, the lady turned to her husband and said, I bet you'll be at Sunday school tomorrow morning. <laughs> But people just don't know a lot about heaven. I mean, e- even if you've been a Christian for a, a long time, w- we still have sort of a, a vague biblical understanding about heaven. So we're going to work on that. If you have your notes out, I want you to look at the very first verse there uh, at the top of the outline. It's Colossians 3, 1. It says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on The realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. you're taking notes, I want you to underline that phrase, the realities of heaven, because today and next week, we're going to push through the myths about heaven, and we're going to learn about the realities of heaven. Now again, the Bible has a lot to say, Doug, I'm going to move this stand. I hope this microphone doesn't squeak. Because when I look over here, I can't see your handsome face. Is that better? All right. So again, the the Bible has a lot to say about heaven. There's more than I can say in a couple of sermons. But I'm going to tell you a lot. I'm going to give you a lot of scriptures. And I'm going to give you a lot of information. So I, I want you to dig in. And guys, I know it's hot in here. Or is it just me? Or is it just his Panthers jersey? Or is it me in the Panthers jersey? You anyway. know I'm sorry. I'm getting hungry, I sometimes do that. Um, we're, something's wrong with the air? So so listen, lean forward, don't lean back. If you lean back, you're gonna go to sleep. Lean forward, and let's dig in to this. Uh, Revelation 21, verses one through 27. It was too long a passage to put in your notes, but you can listen along or follow along on the screens behind me. Uh, We just finished a series in the Gospel of John, and that John of the Gospel of John, who wrote that Gospel, also wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John and Revelation. And it's not Revelations, it's the Revelation. He's um, been arrested by the Romans for preaching the Gospel. He's been banished to the island of Patmos, a prison island, and he receives this vision, a vision from Jesus, and he is able to look into heaven and see it, and and here he has the daunting task of describing it to us. John says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Which sort of disappoints me. I, I'm hoping for an ocean in heaven. Uh, at least some, some water. I, I, I don't need a whole lot in heaven. I'd like to have a little house. Maybe on stilts, backs up to the ocean. Maybe a couple golf holes out front. Uh, on, on the back porch, I'd just like to have a sand chair uh, where I can eat boiled shrimp and banana pudding all day for eternity. I mean that that would be great. But John says there 's no sea. What do you think he means by that? Just that there 's not going to be any ocean? and yeah, maybe literally. But if you think about the ancient mind, I mean, today, there are people who still believe in the Loch Ness Monster. Today, there are people who believe in mermaids. So imagine what it would have been like 2,000 years ago for the ancient person. I mean, what they knew of the ocean is basically what they could navigate, h- hugging the, the sea line uh, uh, or the shoreline as they, as they sailed around. And so to them, the ocean is where monsters live. It's where chaos is. It's it's the fear of the unknown. So more than anything else, John is saying, there's not gonna be any chaos. There aren't gonna be any monsters there. There aren't gonna be any mysteries or things to worry us or scare us. He said, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. You ever been to New York? Ever been to New Jersey? New Hanover? This is the new Jerusalem. It was coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. That, that's meant to be a moment of excitement. As a pastor, I, I've uh, I've done a lot of weddings over the years, and uh, it can be a very cool moment from my vantage point when I'm I'm at the at, at the wedding altar and the groom is here and. The groom sees his bride for the first time. Either she comes through the doors in the back of the church or she comes around the corner of you know the barn or wherever it is that they're having the ceremony. He sees her for the first time. You can normally tell how nervous the groom is um, by his expression, or how excited and how much in love he is with the bride. And so usually it's a nice moment. I mean, even the toughest guys have a way of of tearing up a little bit. This is meant to be one of those kinds of moments. It's love. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And verse four Very popular verse. Whether you've grown up in church all your life or even if you were just an old rock kid in in the 80s listening to Iron Maiden albums, you've probably heard verse four. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said... I am making everything new. That means heaven's not going to be a remodel. It's going to be new construction. It's going to be brand new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. In other words, this is not a movie. This is trustworthy. You You can bank your life in the here and now and on the hereafter based on these words. He said to me, it is done. He who? Jesus. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. The Alpha is the first letter in the Greek alphabet. The Omega is the last letter in the Greek alphabet. The beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious or those who are faithful to the end will inherit all this and I will be their guide and they will be my children, they will be my people. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. One of the angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues, came and said to me, come and I will show you the bride, which is the church, the wife of the lamb, the lamb is Jesus, our sacrifice. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel Like a jasper, clear as crystal. Ladies, are you getting excited? It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Listen close. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod to measure the city, its gates and its walls. He's got a measuring tape. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide, so a cube. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length, and as wide and as high as it is long. So 12,000 stadia is about 1,400 miles. Do we have anybody in here from New York? New York? The capital of New York is Albany, right? Is it Albany? By the way, I saw you turn around and look at others like you, you weren't sure. I caught you, I caught you. You turn around and look at your wife. Is that right, baby? Okay, yeah, okay. Um, The capital of Kansas is Topeka. From Albany, New, to, uh, Albany, New York, To Topeka, Kansas, that's about 1,400 miles. And so heaven is 1,400 miles cubed. It's a a cube. It's huge. It's as tall, it's as high as it is long. That makes me think high-rise apartments. which makes me think about the Jeffersons, which I'm showing my age a little bit here, you know, moving on up. The angel measured the wall using human measurement. It was about 144 cubits thick, which is about 18 inches. The wall was made of jasper and a city of pure gold, as pure as glass, the good stuff. So, so think about this, heaven is so beautiful that even the building materials, you know, the brick and the block and the pavers in the street, they're priceless gems. The foundation of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third a gate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, my personal favorite, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates, remember there are three in the north, south, east, and west, were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. That's a big oyster. The great street of the city, and Back then in the ancient world, there was usually one great street that went through the city so that you could get an army through it, military, and then there were smaller streets that broke to the side. The great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. Listen to this. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. And I can't help but to think of the Queen of England. I, I, I got to go once into the, 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 um, the crown room of the British crown, and uh and the the crowns and the jewels are amazing Uh, amazing and and listen i'm an american so i just be honest with you i don't care too much about kings and queens but it is pretty impressive and you sort of get caught up in the royalty just a little bit i have to be honest about that And so when you think about the kingdoms of the earth, the kings and queens of the earth, their splendor will lay at the feet of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Their their splendor, their greatness is nothing compared to that of Jesus. On no day will its gates ever be shut there will be no night there. Cities had walls to protect them. They they would close the gates. Most of the time the gates were were closed anyway, but especially at night because that's when the the invading armies would come in. You you know what it meant for these people to to hear that the, the, the gates are never shut? It means, man, we can relax. They lived under a threat every day of some world power, the next dominant power, or some stronger tribe coming in to destroy them and rout them, take what they have, and take them as slaves even. No worries like that in heaven. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Wow. So this morning, I want to answer three basic questions about heaven, okay? Got your notes out? Here we go. Question number one, what is heaven? What is heaven? Well, the Bible tells us that heaven is two things. Two things, write these down. Heaven is where God lives and rules. Heaven is where God lives and rules. Throughout the Bible, heaven is spoken of as the dwelling place of God or the house of God. It's also called the throne of God. Look at Psalm one hundred three nineteen. It says, the Lord has established his throne in heaven. Underline that, throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. And then there's Psalm 123, 1. It says, I lift up my eyes to you to you who sits enthroned in heaven. So what is heaven? It's the dwelling place. It's the home and the throne of God. It's where he lives and where he rules. Number two, heaven is a real place. Heaven is a real place. Say real. Real. Heaven is a real place. It's not a state of mind. Heaven is not nirvana. Heaven is not a dream state. It's a real place. And the Bible describes heaven as a place with streets, trees, water, homes, even animals. Heaven is a physical place. So it's it's not just... A collection of clouds out floating around in outer space somewhere. J- just so you'll know, in heaven, we're, we're not going to be dressed in white robes with, with wings. I know some of you that m- might seem attractive, but th- that's, not, that's not what we're going to be like in heaven. W- w- you're not going to be... Um, a little chubby cherub floating around on a cloud playing a harp to be honest with you that sounds more like hell to me than to heaven and and, and who can get excited about going to a a boring colorless place heaven is tangible the, the way jesus describes it in john 14:2 I'm going to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house, there are many rooms, place, room, tangible. He wants us to be able to relate to heaven, to know that it is a real place where one day those who have trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior will spend eternity with him, okay? You got that so far? All right, that's question number one. Here's question number two. Where is heaven? Where is heaven? Here is the deep theological and honest answer. I don't know. And the truth is, no one else really knows either. We don't have coordinates. We do have some directions though, like up and down. But to say exactly that you know where heaven is We just don't. What we do know is that it's out of this world. You know, all due respect to Belinda Carlisle and the Go-Go's, heaven is not a place on earth. It's out of this world. And listen, we don't have to know where it is. More importantly, we know the way to get there And Jesus tells us in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father except that he come through me. So I I can't give you the coordinates for a GPS, but I can tell you that Jesus tells us how to get there. At the end of today's message, I'm gonna tell you how to get there. Here's question number three. Still with me? Still with me? All right. What is heaven really like what is heaven really like this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time today next week I'm going to talk to you about what will be in heaven for the next few minutes I want to talk to you about what will not be in heaven okay get your pen write these down no sadness no sadness in heaven there is not going to be any sadness. John says in Revelation 21:4 that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So think about this. In the fraction of a second, in the fraction of a second, all sadness will come to an end. Have you ever been sad? Not the kind of sad where your, your team has picked to win the Super Bowl and should have won the Super Bowl and that sadness turns into bitter. Not that I am bitter about it. But not, not that kind of sadness. I, I, mean, I mean real sadness. Ever had your heart broken? Ever stood by the grave of someone that you love? That's sadness. And all that's gonna be Gone. In heaven, there's not gonna be um, loneliness, there's gonna be no more grief, no broken hearts, no more rejection, no more divorce, no more abuse, no more addictions. There'll be no more tears in heaven, no more sadness. Number two, no sickness. In heaven, there's gonna be no sickness. Because again, John tells us that there will be no more pain in heaven. There won't be sickness or pain, suffering and tears because in the next life, in Jesus now, in Jesus, because you'll hear this again, but I want to make sure you understand right now, heaven is not the default eternity for every human being. You with me on that? But those of us who die in Christ will be raised with new bodies. New bodies. I I want you to listen to what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 42 and 43. This is from the contemporary English version, but I love the way it says it. These bodies, and he's talking about these bodies right here. These These bodies will die, but the bodies that are raised will live forever. These ugly and weak bodies will become beautiful and strong. In heaven, we're going to have perfect bodies. Can I get an amen? Oh, man. No sickness. No Tums in heaven. He's not going to have indigestion. No no Pepto-Bismol, because you're not going to have diarrhea in heaven. Just in case you've never wondered, or ever wondered. In in heaven, my mother-in-law is not going to have rheumatoid arthritis. For the 30 years I've known her, she has taken the strongest arthritis medicine that you can take. On the inside of her body, her internal organs are fused together. All of her fingers and her toes have been broken to be straightened with pins. Every day. She wakes up in pain. She lives with pain all day. And when she goes to bed at night, she's in pain but not in heaven. In heaven there's not gonna be any sickness. No cancer, no chemo. No sickness. Number three, no suffering. No suffering. Listen to what the Bible says in Revelation 7:16. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat, which is the way most people lived in the first century. There's a lot of suffering in the world today. You agree? According to UNICEF, each day, each day, 22,000 children die due to complications from the poverty they're living in. For example, 1.8 million children die each year from diarrhea because they don't have clean drinking water. 80% of all human beings living on earth make less than $10 a day. Two of three people live on less than $2 a day and one of three people live on less than $1 a day. There are approximately 2.5 billion children in the world. One billion of them can't even write their own name. It's not because we can't dig wells. It's not because just a few nations have all that wealth. You hear that from time to time. That's just, that's bogus. For, for most of the people that live in this sort of poverty in third world countries do so because they are controlled by governments led by dictators who control their population by controlling the money, the food, the sanitation, and the education. There's a lot of suffering in the world but it will come to an end. Suffering does not win out. Number four, no sin. The reality of heaven is that there will be no sin. Look again at Revelation twenty-one twenty-seven. It says, nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Heaven is a perfect place. Here's the problem. You're not. I'm not. None of us is perfect. Romans three twenty three says, every person has sinned and fallen short of God's glorious ideal. So we're all sinners. Well, if we're all sinners and all of us are imperfect, How in the world are we gonna go into into heaven, into a perfect place? Well, that's where Jesus comes in. Jesus came to die on the cross to pay for our sins, to wipe them out, to forgive us and make us perfect. You know what that means? That means that when you commit your life to Christ, when you become his follower, truly committed, It means that from that moment on, when God looks at you, he doesn't see sinner you. Instead, he sees the sacrifice of his son, Jesus. And it says, though we have a a debit account in heaven that he stamps, paid in full, but listen, listen. Again, heaven is not your default location for eternity. And to be forgiven of your sins, you have to ask for forgiveness of your sins. You have to confess that you are a sinner. And if you don't, then you're still in your sins. And if you die in your sins, you are stuck with them for eternity. And the consequences of those sins Number five, no death. No death. The Bible says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. As a pastor, I love hearing that. I love reading that. Because I've been with a lot of families standing around graves where they are saying their last goodbyes to a loved one. And that's hard. But the Bible says that death has an expiration date on it. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. We need to look at one more scripture passage and then we'll close. It's 1 Corinthians 15, but it's verses 42 through 44. We've already looked at verses 42 and 43, but this is 42 through 44. These bodies will die, but the bodies that are raised will live forever. These ugly and weak bodies will become beautiful and strong. As surely as there are physical bodies, there are spiritual bodies. And our physical bodies will be changed into spiritual bodies. In this world, bad things happen to good people. Good things happen to bad people. Now what's interesting is about that is that most people classify themselves as good. We ought to just be thankful as humans that any good thing happens to us. In this life, bad things happen. The world we live in today is broken. It's sinful. We get sick because of sin. And because of sin and the brokenness of this world, These bodies grow old, and they ruin, they die. But when we get to heaven, we'll get a new body, a new character, new emotions. I don't know about you, but I'm sure glad that I don't have to live for eternity with my hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Are you? Amen. So I guess the only question left is who's going to heaven? Not everyone. Not automatically. You ever gotten an invitation to something important? Like um like to a wedding. You know, even if you can't go to that wedding, it's still nice that you got an invitation. Like, well, at least they. Least, at least that you were thinking about me. May, it makes you feel kind of special. Um, on a wedding invitation, there is an RSVP. Do you know what that means? Uh, RSVP is French for respondez, s'il vous plait, which means, are you coming? And then out beside the RSVP, they'll put an RSVP date for when you have to let them know by, so they'll know if you're coming or not, they'll be planning on you. And if you don't let them know you're coming by that date, you can't come. I want you to think of being a Christian and going to heaven like receiving an invitation, an important invitation, and and it has a date on it, an RSVP date. And that date is April 30th, 2017. And so you have to decide if you're going. Will the invitation be offered tomorrow? I don't know. Why don't you know? Because you might not be alive tomorrow. And the thing about this invitation is that you have to RSVP while you're still alive. And unfortunately, a lot of people think that they can make a decision to follow Jesus in the 11th hour. But what if you die at half past 10? The best wording of the invitation, I think, is John 3.16. You know, in an invitation, there are three important things you want to know who is it from, who is it for, and what's it about? and John 3:16 answers those questions for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life who's it from it's from God who's it to it's available to all of us what's it about forgiveness eternal life. Freedom from the sins of your past and the sins of your future. A purpose to live for today and yes, the hope of a home in heaven. Would you like to repondez, say, vous play. Reserve, replace, RSVP. Let's pray together. If you will just bow your head and close your eyes. You don't have to walk out of here today the way you walked in. Well, on your feet would be nice, but you can leave differently than when you came in, which means that you can leave your sin load here if you walked in with the guilt and shame and burden of your sins, you can leave those here today. Jesus gave an invitation once in Matthew's gospel. Come to me, all ye who are burdened and heavy laden, racked with guilt, worry, anxiety. Take my yoke upon you. In other words, take the life that I'll give you. You can't carry your sin burden around. I can take care of it. I'll take your pack. You take mine. Would you like to be forgiven of your sins today? If you feel that tug in your life, maybe... The butterflies in your stomach, that could very well be the Holy Spirit coaxing you, speaking to you, prompting you. So, if you'd like to be forgiven, forgiven of your sins, have a purpose for living, and a home in heaven, then just say this prayer with me. There's nothing magical about the words I'm gonna say. But there is something supernatural that happens when you say them with a sincere heart and a true prompting. Just say something like this. Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner this morning and I ask for forgiveness. In the best way I know how, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I repent of my sins, which means I'm not gonna continue going in the direction I've been walking in in life. I'm gonna change directions and I'm gonna follow you. And so ask him to forgive you. Just say, Jesus, will you forgive me? And now say, Jesus, I pray that you will put your spirit inside of me to give me courage and strength to live the rest of my life following you, learning about you, and living like you. Thank you for saving me, Jesus. It's in Your name that we pray. Amen. Good job, buddy. Thank you. Thank you. Well, once again, hello. It's great to see you guys today. And uh, if you happen to come in after the welcome, my name is Jimmy. I'm the lead pastor. If you uh, if you have your Bible with you, open it up or turn it on and go to Revelation 21. Revelation 21. Also, uh, reach into your bulletin and uh, take out your message notes. And let me encourage you again. I know I say this just about every week, but I want to encourage you to take notes. Write down the things that you're learning. It sticks with you better. You'll remember it longer. It'll just get inside of you. So uh, take out your message notes and turn to Revelation 21. We're right in the middle of a series that we're calling I Have Questions. And the series is about addressing and answering some of the the most frequently asked questions that people have about God, about Jesus, about the Bible, about the afterlife, or just life in general. And today we're gonna talk about the afterlife. In fact, today and next Sunday, we're gonna talk about the afterlife, and specifically, we're gonna talk about heaven. You know, human beings have always believed that we live forever somewhere. The Australian Aborigines people pictured heaven as an island that is somewhere beyond the Western Hemisphere. The Finns believed that Heaven must be somewhere in the Far East. Mexicans, Peruvians, Polynesians, people in South America believe that when a person dies, when they die, they go to the moon or to the sun. Native Americans believe that in the afterlife, their spirits would hunt the spirits of buffalo. I've been to the the pyramids in Egypt and into the mummy room in the National Museum in Cairo. And I've seen the, the mummies of people who were embalmed with a map that was supposed to guide the dead into the afterlife. The Romans believed that their righteous people and their culture would go to the Elysian fields where they would have an eternal picnic with their horses grazing in the pasture nearby. You can go into caves in France and also in the Sahara Desert and see wall carvings that are as old as 12,000 years. And they have carved in images of gods of the moon and the sun And so all of these are are different stories, but even though they're different, what they tell us is that human beings have this God-given sense that we were created for a world beyond this one, that this is not all there is. There's an afterlife. And what's interesting is that um, these carvings also prove that Human beings know there is a God, and we're not him. And then when people don't know the true and living God of the Bible, we will worship something, even if it's the creation. If you talk to people today about heaven, most people will say that they want to go to heaven because if nothing else is better than the alternative, right? Right? But, but few people actually seem excited about going to heaven, which I think is too bad. And, and I think it's probably because we just don't know, we don't know enough about heaven. Or what we know or what we think we know about heaven has been passed down to us through Hollywood uh, do, you, do you remember the movie Ghost? Have you ever seen that movie, just a show of hands? A few of us have. Uh, I, I remember when that movie came out. Karen and I, at the, end of, uh, at the end of May, May 29th, just so you guys know that I know the date, we'll have been married 24 years. And uh, yeah, that's exciting. Uh, she deserves like a medal or something uh, to be married to me that long. But we dated for five years. So we've been together about 29 years. And we, we were on a date when we saw this movie. And so I was trying to think earlier about when this movie would have come out. Um, so I'm still going to chick flicks when we're dating. So that would have probably been early on because we hadn't started going to ball games by then. So I'm, I'm still trying to impress her. So that movie's probably 27, 28 years old. And if you remember the movie at the end of it, The the bad guys are killed, and um, these demons come up out of the floor and come out of the walls and take the bad people to hell. And then there's that moment with um, Patrick Swayze, Demi Moore, and uh, Whoopi Goldberg, where uh, you see this Hollywood illustration about what heaven will look like and and what it'll it'll be like. And it's just, you know, one of those nice kind of moments, I guess. And uh, the theater was crowded. And so once we got onto the aisleway to, to leave, there was a couple right in front of us. And uh, the, the, the woman turned to her husband and said, it was a Saturday night. She turned to her husband and said, I bet you'll be at Sunday school in the morning. I don't know if he was or not, but he should have been. <laughs> um, so what we know about heaven, we, we get from the movies or other stories. A, a lot of what we think about heaven is passed down to us or sort of handed off from Eastern mysticism. Even those of us who have been Christians for a long time don't really have a solid biblical understanding about heaven, so we're going to work on that. If you have your notes out, I want you to look at the very first verse on the top of your outline. It's Colossians 3.1, and it says, "'Since you have been raised to new life with Christ,' Set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. If you're taking notes, I want you to underline that phrase, the reality of heaven, because this Sunday and next Sunday, we're going to push through the myths about heaven. We're going to push those out of the way, and we're going to consider the realities of heaven. Now, guys, listen. The Bible has a lot to say about heaven. A lot, way more than what I can give you in, in a couple of sermons. But listen, I'm going to give you a lot of information, a lot of information, and a lot of Scripture passages. And the focus passage we're going to look at this morning is Revelation 21. And, and listen, as I, I, I've been reading and studying the passage, I, I've tried to find places that I could cut out or just leave this out and just deal with these verses, and I couldn't do it so i'm gonna read the whole passage it's kind of long but it's interesting i want you to to stay with me on it now i don't know why it's so hot in the building today but man it's hot i know that you cold-blooded people over here you think it's great but man this whole building is hot from one end to the other donnie's not here today and apparently donnie is the only one that knows how to work the air conditioner uh Donnie and Courtney are celebrating their their wedding anniversary this weekend at the beach, and we just felt like Courtney deserved a weekend off. So, right, she's married. You guys, you're just not going to laugh at anything I say today, are you? Is that the way it's going to go? All right, I'm adding 10 minutes to the service. All right. Don't lean back. Lean forward. If you lean back, you'll go to sleep. Lean forward. This is important, all right? Revelation 21. Um, You should probably know that Revelation is is written down by John. We just finished a series through the Gospel of John. And so, John, the disciple of Jesus, he wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and he wrote down the Revelation. It's not Revelations with an S on it, it's the Revelation. John has been arrested by the Romans for preaching the Gospel. And he's been banished to the island of Patmos, where he receives this revelation. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Which, to be honest with you, this is something you would say on this side of eternity. It's it's not even something you would consider in heaven I'm a little disappointed that there's not an ocean in heaven. I'm not a mountain guy. I'm an ocean guy. For for years, I've been hoping that, that my room or my little mansion would be a little wooden house on stilts, backs up to the ocean, you know, where I can just sit and eat boiled shrimp and banana pudding for eternity, but... John says there's not going to be a sea. Why, why do you think he would say that? I'm, I mean, it could be that literally there's no ocean there. We know there's water. There's, there's rivers of living water. Well, well put yourself in, in, in the ancient mind. You know, there are people today who believe in the Loch Ness Monster. I've been there. I know that there are people who swear there's a Loch Ness Monster. There are people who believe in mermaids today. They do. So, so, so imagine that you're living in the first century, and the, the only thing you know about the ocean is, is what's been discovered as you've, you've been on a boat or just out in the water, just off the shoreline. Uh, they thought monsters lived in the ocean. The monsters, are, are the, the ocean, that's where chaos is. They didn't know what was out there or beyond the horizon, so it made them afraid. John is saying there are not going to be any monsters in heaven. There's not going to be any chaos. There's not going to be the things that worry and plague us. There aren't going to be any boundaries. He said, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. You ever been to New York, New Jersey, New Hanover? This is the new Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And that's a reference to Jesus as the groom, and the church is the bride of Christ. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, or check this out. Behold this. This is important. God's dwelling place is among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And verse four is a very famous verse. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying for the old order of things has passed away. Amen. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making all things new. That means that heaven is not gonna be a remodel. It's going to be new construction it's going to be a new place then he said write this down for these words are trustworthy and true in other words what is is about to be said didn't come from hollywood it wasn't handed down from other religions it's not folklore it's trustworthy and true it comes from god He said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega. In the Greek alphabet, the first letter is the alpha, the last letter is the omega. He's saying I am the beginning and the end. Everything starts with me, everything ends with me. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit this and I will be their God and they will be my children or they will be my people. Verse eight is meant to be a warning. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars They will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came to me and said, Come, I will show you the bride, which again is the church, the wife of the Lamb, which is Jesus, who is the Christ. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Ladies, are you getting excited about this place? It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Now listen to this. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. So this angel pulls out a tape measure. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. Just think of a huge Rubik's Cube. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and as high as it is long. Think about that. All right, 12,000 stadia is about 1,400 miles. Anybody here from, uh, from New York? New York, a few people. Um, the capital of New York is Albany. Is that right, Albany? Uh, anybody here from Kansas? Kansas, uh, Topeka is that okay? From Albany, New York, to Topeka, Kansas is about fourteen hundred miles. That's how that's how long heaven is. But then it's that squared. Fourteen hundred miles that way, fourteen hundred miles that way, fourteen hundred miles back, and fourteen hundred miles this way, and it is as high as it is long so it's 14 uh 1400 miles high i'm thinking luxury apartments high-rise apartments which just to show my age a little bit here monty it makes me think of the jeffersons we're moving on up yeah yeah beans don't fry in the... okay okay The angel measured the wall using human measurement, and it was 144 cubits thick, about 18 inches. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold. What's interesting about that is in Asia Minor, and Patmos is in Asia Minor, one of the cities of Asia Minor had a road that was paved with gold. The city, it was a port city, and they they were so wealthy to to show their wealth, they paved a a street around the city in gold. It's like John is saying, and all all the people living in the first century, they would have known about that city, and John is saying, if you think that's something, this whole city, the whole city of God is paved with gold. Verse 19, the foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate. the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, my personal favorite, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh Jason, and the twelfth amethyst. Think about that. John has the daunting task of describing to us Heaven, a place we've never been, a place we've never seen. It's as though he's saying this place is so beautiful that even the building materials are precious jewels: the bricks in the wall, the pavers in the streets, gold, amethyst, onyx— incredible. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. You like to eat seafood. This is a big oyster, big oyster. The great street of that city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. Last few verses. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the uh, the lamb is its lamp the nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor to it think about that for a minute the kings of the earth will bring their splendor to it you know what that meant to an ancient person to to a christian in particular living under the roman empire there was nobody stronger than the romans And they had all of this greatness and all of this splendor. And John says, one day it'll all be packed up and we'll be under the authority and at the feet of Jesus. It may look like they're in charge now. But a different day is coming. on no day will its gates ever be shut for there will be no night there every city had a wall around it with gates and they probably kept the gates closed most of the time but for sure at night because at night that's when the enemy comes in and raids your city that's when the the tribe that wants to take over you take your stuff take your food take your people they come in at night and and, and john is saying this place has walls but the doors never need to be shut he- heaven's going to be like my my uncle larry and and my aunt melly's house when i was a kid growing up they lived out in union county they never locked their doors when they left the house won't worry about anybody going in there to take anything. Heaven's going to be like, "You're going to be able to relax." He's saying, "There's not going to be enemies on the outside trying to come in and destroy us on the inside. You don't have to worry about those things. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written. In the Lamb's Book of Life. Wow. It's amazing, isn't it? I want to answer three basic questions about heaven just for the next few minutes. So if you have your notes out, just write these down. Here's question number one What is heaven? What is heaven? What is heaven? The Bible tells us that heaven is at least two things. Number one, heaven is where God lives and rules. Heaven is where God lives and rules. Throughout the Bible, heaven is spoken of as the dwelling place of God or the house of God or the Father's house. And it's also called the throne of God. There in your notes, I have Psalm one hundred three nineteen. It says, the Lord has established his throne in heaven. And his kingdom rules over all. Look at Psalm 123, one. It says, I lift up my eyes to you, to you who sits enthroned in heaven. So what is heaven? It's where God lives. It's where he rules. It's his kingdom. Number two, heaven is a real place. Heaven is a real place. Now, once w- she has that written down, I want you to look at me. I can't look you in the eyes, but you can look me in the eyes. Heaven is real. It's a real place. It's not a state of mind. It's not nirvana. Heaven is a real place. The Bible describes heaven as a place that has streets with trees, with homes, and even animals. Yes, I think they're going to be animals in heaven. Heaven is a physical place. It's not just some some place that floats around in in outer space. And by the way, let me tell you this, too. Just so you know, when you get to heaven, you're not going to be dressed in a white robe. You're not going to have flowing angels' wings. I don't mean to disappoint you. But it's not going to be like that. Um, you're, you're not going to be a chubby cherub, which I'm, I'm happy about. You're not going to be a chubby cherub that's floating around on a cloud playing a harp all day. And I'll be honest with you, that sounds more like hell to me than heaven. <laughs> Who wants to go to a colorless, boring place? That is not the place described in the scriptures. When Jesus talked to his disciples about heaven, he said, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many mansions or rooms. Think about that. When Jesus is describing heaven to his disciples, he gives them tangible things that they can can understand so that they'll know, so that we will know that one day we will be in a real place. We will have real bodies, just new bodies. Here's question number two. Where is heaven? Do you think you know? Where is heaven? Well, here's the deep, an honest answer. Are you ready for it? I don't know. And no one else does for sure either. We just don't. We have, we have maybe some directional signs like up and down. But as far as GPS coordinates, don't have them. But the good news is that while we don't know where heaven is, we know the way to get to heaven, right? Because Jesus tells us in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father except that he comes by me. So we don't know where heaven is, but we know the way to heaven. And at the end of today's message, I'm going to be even more clear about the way to heaven. Okay, for just a few minutes, our remaining time together, I want to deal with question number three, which is, what is heaven really like? What is heaven really like? Now, next week, I'm going to talk to you about what will be in heaven, what what we're going to encounter in heaven, and even who we're going to encounter in heaven. But for the next few minutes, I want to give you five things that will not in heaven, okay? Say not, not. These are things that will not be in heaven. Number one, no sadness. No sadness. The Bible says that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Have you ever been sad? I mean, really sad. I I don't mean the sadness that you feel like when your team has picked to win Super Bowl fifty. Everybody thinks you're gonna win Super Bowl 50, and then you get there and you lay an egg. I mean, that kind of sadness can turn to bitterness if you're not careful. (laughs) That might be a different sermon. I mean, real sadness. You know, where, where you bury someone that you really love, Ever had your heart broken? Think about this. In the fraction of a second, all of the sadness will just be gone. When Jesus brings an end to the age Ultimately, and there is a new heaven and a new earth, there will be no more sadness, at least for those who are in heaven. That means no more loneliness, no more grief, no more broken hearts, no more rejection, no more divorce, no more abuse, no more addictions, no more depression. There will be no tears in heaven because there will be no sadness. Number two, no sickness, no sickness in heaven. Again, the Bible says there will be no pain in heaven. That's gonna be wiped out. There won't be any sickness, there won't be any sadness, because in heaven we will have new bodies. I want you to look at 1 Corinthians 15, verses 42 and 43. This is from the contemporary English version. Paul is talking about our new bodies These bodies, the the one we're in right now, the one you can see, touch, and feel, these bodies will die, but the bodies that are raised will live forever. These ugly and weak bodies will become beautiful and strong. The Bible is saying that in heaven we will have new bodies, perfect bodies. Can I get an amen? Oh. No sickness. No chemo. No radiation. No cancer. I've known my mother-in-law for 30 years. And and for at least as, known as, or as long as I've known her, she has been on the strongest arthritis medicine that you can take. She's in her 80s now. All of her organs inside of her body are fused together. All of her fingers and toes have been broken and straightened with pins and metal rods. She wakes up in the morning in pain. She hurts all day. She goes to bed at night in pain. She never complains. Some days are just a little better than others. And as long as I've known her, she has prayed for healing. And her faith background is such that she's thought through the years, if I could just have more faith. Well, if she doesn't have enough faith to be healed, then none of us do. I'm telling you, I know her. She will probably die with rheumatoid arthritis. But that'll be the end of it. In heaven, she'll have a new body. Think about it, in heaven, there's not gonna be any Tums no Pepto-Bismol. You're not going to have indigestion. No more diarrhea. No more runny noses. No sickness. Number three, no suffering. No suffering. Listen to what the Bible says in Revelation 7, 16. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat, which is the way most people lived when this was written. There's a lot of suffering in the world today. You realize this, right? A lot of suffering in the world today. According to UNICEF, each day 22,000 children die due to complications from poverty. For example, 1.8 million children die each year from diarrhea because they don't have clean drinking water. Drinking water. 80% of all human beings living on earth make less than $10 a day. Two of three people live on less than $2 a day. One in three people live on less than a dollar a day. the world would love to have our our first world problems. There are approximately 2.5 billion children on the planet. At least a billion of them can't even write their own name. And I know you hear things like, well, that's because there are a few countries that have all of the wealth. There's wealth to go around. People aren't starving to death because there's not enough food in the world to feed them, or that we can't go drill enough wells to bring them water. The suffering is due mostly to the fact that these developing countries are ruled by governments, led by dictators, who control their people and control their population by controlling the money, the food, the sanitation, and their education. There's a lot of suffering in the world. I would imagine there's gonna be suffering when Jesus comes back, but when he comes back, that suffering will come to an end. Number four, no sin. In heaven, there'll be no more sin look again at revelation 21 27 it says nothing impure will ever enter it nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful but only those whose names are written in the lamb's book of life heaven is a perfect place here's the problem you are not you are not perfect i am not perfect none of us is perfect all of us are sinners. The Bible says in Romans three twenty three, for all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious ideal. All of us mess up. All of us make mistakes. Most of us willfully sin. We are sinners. So if nobody's perfect and heaven is a perfect place, An imperfection cannot enter into heaven. How does anyone go to heaven? That's where Jesus comes in. Jesus came to die on the cross and to pay for our sins, to wipe them out, to, to forgive us of our sins, and to make us whole and complete on the inside. So think about this. The moment you become a Christian, the moment you become a follower of Jesus, God no longer looks at you and sees sinful you. He looks at you and sees the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, who paid for our sin debt. It's it's like we have this credit debt in heaven that we cannot pay. And Jesus stamps it, paid in full but listen to me listen, listen I I don't hmm. sometimes when I start preaching a little bit I, I, I come across as harsh or sarcastic and I'm not trying to be it doesn't matter what a pastor may have told you sometime when you were growing up in a Baptist church. I grew up in a Baptist church. If you ask me what I am today, I'll tell you I'm a Baptist. It doesn't matter what your priest said. Heaven is not the default destination of every human being. Heaven is not automatic. We're not just Christians because we grew up Baptist or we grew up Catholic or we grew up Methodist or we grew up Pentecostal. We become Christians when we become believers in Jesus and followers of Jesus. When we repent of our sins, when we ask for forgiveness, when we admit that we're sinners and cannot save ourselves. And unless you have confessed your sins to Jesus, not to me, not to me, I'm not your high priest. You don't have to confess anything to me or any other human being made of flesh and blood. The confession has to be made to Jesus. He's your high priest. And unless you've confessed your sins to him, unless you've asked him for forgiveness of your sins, you're still in your sin. And if you die in your sins, you are stuck with those sins for all of eternity and you have to live with the consequences of those sins. And that sin can't enter heaven and that means you can't either. but there's better news coming. Number five, there's no death in heaven. No death. The Bible says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And as a pastor, that is like music to my ears. I love being a pastor. I don't want you to take this the wrong way. Please don't take it the wrong way. I like funerals. I don't like that there are funerals. Um, I like weddings and funerals, but for different reasons. I like a wedding because it's a celebration, for the most part. Not always, but for the most part, it's a celebration. And the only thing you you need at a wedding really is a bride. Cakes and flowers, maybe a groom. Um and a group of people, and you can have a party. It's a celebration. So it's fun, but I like a funeral because at a funeral, you have people's attention. And I'm a gospel preacher. And so, at a funeral, people are listening, people are paying attention, But I will be glad when the day comes that I no longer have to do them. Not because I'm not here anymore, but because there's no more death. Death has an expiration date on it. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. In heaven, there'll be no death. So I guess maybe the last question is who goes to heaven? Who goes to heaven? While while we wrap things up here, I I, want to encourage you to think about heaven. And and being a Christian, like receiving an invitation. Have you ever gotten an invitation before, like to a wedding or a birthday party? Just show of hands, show of hands. Um, it's it's nice to get invitations, isn't it? it? Like to a wedding. Even if you can't go to the wedding, it's still nice that they thought of you because you're like, well, at least they thought about me, and you sort of feel like you're a part of things. It, it's just nice to get an invitation. Most wedding invitations has what's called an RSVP. You heard of it? You know what an RSVP is, right? Do you know what it means? Yeah, that's exactly right. Respondez, c'est vous plaît. Which means, it's French, it means, are you coming? And then out by the invitation, there's usually a date. And if you don't respond to the invitation by the date on that invitation to let them know you're coming, you can't go. People who go to heaven, people who follow Jesus are people who have the invitation. And when you get an invitation, there are three things that you need to know on it. Who's it from? Who's it for? And what's it about? And to me the best invitation for following Jesus and going to heaven is John 3:16. It answers all those questions. Who's it from? Who's it for? What's it about? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Who's it from? It's from God. Who is it to? whosoever. That includes all of us. The invitation is to all of us. What's the invitation to? The invitation is to believe in Jesus and live. The invitation is to be forgiven of our sins, the past sins, present sins, future sins. It's to have a purpose for living today in the hope of a home in heaven in the future. Have you RSVP'd? Because again, there's a date on the invitation. For all of us here today, the invitation date to RSVP by is April 30th, 2017 will the invitation be offered tomorrow? I don't know. Why don't you know, Jimmy? Because I don't know if you'll be alive tomorrow. I don't know if I'll be alive tomorrow. So you have to respond to the invitation. And listen, it's extremely important that you know that you have to respond to the invitation in this life. There's not an opportunity later. It's now. I'd like for us to pray together. So if you would, just bow your head, close your eyes. I want to give you the opportunity to be forgiven of your sins. Jesus gave an invitation once. It's in Matthew's Gospel. It's something like this. Come unto me, all ye who are heavy burdened and weighted down, full of worry and anxiety, full of shame and guilt. And Jesus says, I'll give you rest. He says, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. It's like Jesus is saying, let me have your bag of burdens because you can't carry your sin burden. I can. Jesus says, I can handle your sins. You take my yoke, or you take my pack, you can can carry my pack, and I'll help you carry it. But you can't carry your sins. Some of you are here this morning and you're worn out in life because you're dragging the baggage of your sin everywhere you go. Or you have a wheelbarrow load of sin because you've you've never given them to Jesus. But you can right now. You can walk out of this church today in a way that you never imagined, forgiven, with the purpose, and with hope for the future. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father except that he comes by me. So how do you go the way of Jesus? Just through a simple prayer. I want to invite you to pray the prayer with me. And you don't have to say these words out loud. You can say them in your heart or in your mind. Our God is the God who searches hearts and minds. He'll hear you when you pray. There's nothing magic about these words, but there's something supernatural about what happens when a person says a prayer like this and they mean it from their heart and they've been stirred by the Spirit of God So if you think that's you this morning, then pray with me now. Just say something like this. God, today, I am crossing the line from unbelief to belief. Jesus, in the best way I know how, I'm confessing my sins to you. I'm repenting of my sins. I'm telling you I am a sinner, and I know that I need forgiveness I know that that's what you offer through your death on the cross and your resurrection from the grave. And I receive that in my life right now. I'm repenting of my sins, which means I'm not gonna continue going the direction I've been following. I'm gonna stop here and I'm going toward you. I'm gonna follow you. And now fill me with the power of your Holy Spirit to follow you and to learn about you and to learn to live like you. And now just say, Jesus, thank you for loving me and saving me. It's in your great name we pray. And those who agreed said, amen. Look.